I read where a Christian author named Philip Yancey once wrote this. He said, Most Christians believe in the afterlife, but not many of them talk about it much. He said, If Christians believe that they're going to spend all eternity in heaven, isn't it just a little bit odd that they ignore heaven like it doesn't even matter? Does heaven matter to you? Do you think about heaven very much? For the last 11 weeks... I have been sharing with you about what's going to happen after this life. And for the most part, the messages have centered around this incredible place called heaven. I hope that you know a little bit more now than you did when we first began about what's going to happen to you. After this life. But here's something you need to understand. With new truth. Always comes. New responsibility. In other words you can't. Learn new things about God. You can't learn new things about God's word. And not do nothing about it. We need to realize that what you think about heaven determines what you do in the present. What difference does it make in your life now? Now that you know more about heaven, now that you know more about God's future plan for your life, what difference is it making in your life now? I can't answer that question for you. But I encourage you to answer that question before the man or woman in the mirror. Now I understand that it's real easy to get overwhelmed by all the things we got to do on earth. I get it. I mean we get squeezed by our jobs. Finances get tight. Our relationships get tested. It is not easy to focus now on what's going to be coming for us for all eternity. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter of all people addresses this very concern of focusing on heavenly matters now rather than later. If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 10. And share with you what this apostle says to the people, the Christians, to whom he was writing. In verse 10, he writes, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We can almost stop there, say amen, and go home. You need to know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to happen before you know it. When that happens... The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, 
since all these things will be dissolved, listen carefully, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord, the whole reason He came, was for your salvation. In verse 11, Peter basically asks his readers this question. He says, what kind of persons should you be in light of all these end-time events that appear to be formulating around us in our day and time. You see, Peter knew that there is often a vast difference between what we should be and what we are. I read that when we begin to believe the reality of the other side... We start behaving differently on this side. Somebody say amen. When you start to believe in heaven, your life begins to change on earth. That is what drove the original disciples out into their world. They had seen firsthand the reality of the other side. They saw Jesus. And it changed their life. It changed the way they behaved here on earth. Now that verse in, or that word in verse 11, that word ought, refers to something that is an obligation. It is something that is an absolute necessity. So my question to you is this. Do you sense an obligation do you sense the necessity to be eternity focused? What Peter says in that passage I shared with you is if you don't, you should. If you're not eternity focused, you should be. Because it will change the way you live now. That verse 11 in the Living Bible says it this way. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what kind of holy, godly lives should you be living? Since everything is fading away, how astoundingly excellent you ought to be. Friend, listen. Heaven is our real home. This ain't it. Heaven is our real home. So we need to live accordingly. We need to live now like heaven is our home. Okay then, Bill. What kind of lives should we be living? Well, according to the word of God, to begin with, you need to realize that you're not living for this world. 
You're not living for this world. You're merely an alien. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a foreigner to this place. This is not your home. As Christians, we are not part of this world system. As Christians, friends, we're told not to be of the world. We're not told not to love the world. We're told not to love the things of this world. This is not our home. This is not our place. We're just passing through. Heaven is our place. Heaven is our eternal heavenly place. And that's a city that we're looking for whose builder and maker is God. A city not made with human hands, but made eternal in the heavens. So what level of excellence should you be living in light of all these events? I mean, since you're headed for eternal glory, since you are going to be a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God, since you have been delivered from everything that could possibly keep you for, from living for the Lord's glory, how are you living for eternity now? Can you point to something? Can you point to a ministry? Can you point to a relationship? Can you point to something that you're doing that says, I am eternity focused. I want to share today just a few ways of how we all should be eternity focused now. The first of which is this. I believe that we should be living with devotion. Every single day of our lives should be a life lived Full of devotion. There in verse 11, Peter says, to be eternally or eternity focused, we should change the way we behave. And we can do that in two very practical ways. He says you can do it through holy conduct and you can do it through godliness. Now, John MacArthur, a pastor out in California, he compared these two this way. He says... Holy conduct refers to action. How do you act? Godliness refers to your attitude. What's your attitude look like? He says that holy conduct refers to the way you live your life. Godliness refers to the spirit of reverence in which you live your life. He says holy conduct refers to that that rules my behavior. Godliness refers to that which rules my heart. Not only godliness, but holy conduct. And so Peter is telling us here what kind of persons we ought to be in light of these end time events that are transpiring right before our eyes. What kind of persons ought we be in heart and in behavior. In motive and in action. What kind of person should you be, both in attitude and in duty, right now? That's what Peter is bringing to our attention. And here's what he says. He says, well, the first result of being eternity focused is purity. 
John wrote in 1 John 3, 3, that everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he himself is pure. Now, one author wrote in his book on heaven, he said, if my wedding date is on the calendar, if my wedding date is on the calendar, I'm constantly thinking about this person I'm getting ready to marry. And as long as I keep my mind on the person I'm getting ready to marry, I won't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, if you're focused on heaven, sin is not that appealing. You'd much, much rather live a righteous life that brings God glory rather than sin which satisfies that personal desire. It's when my mind begins to drift away from heaven that now all of a sudden sin begins to become attractive. Focusing on heaven. If you'll focus on heaven, it will lead to a pursuit of holiness. It is written, be holy, Jesus said, for I am holy. We should strive toward that goal. Now, if focusing on sin leads to a pursuit of happiness, there's something that happens on the other hand. And that is this. Repeated sin shows that we're failing to prepare for heaven. So if you've got something going on in your life, and it's a repeated sin that you're dealing with, you need to realize that part of that problem is because you are failing to accurately prepare for heaven. Heaven should affect everything. It should affect everything in your life. Heaven should affect your activities and your ambitions. Heaven should affect your recreation and your friendships. Heaven should affect the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time. So the first result of being eternity focused is purity. But there's a second result of being eternity focused. And that is godliness, Peter says. Godliness describes a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. There's nothing more in your life that you would want to do minute in and minute out than to please God in every way. Man, if we were all like that, just imagine, right? Their entire life is lived out as an act of worship and not just on Sunday morning. If we really believe what Peter has just written to you and I, it's going to be reflected in the way we live. If you don't believe it, there's going to be no change in your life. I assure you of that. But if you believe it, it will change the way you live and the way you live comes down really to one thing. Personal choices. You can make a choice to be righteous, make a choice to be godly. Or you can make a choice to be sinful and make a choice to be selfish. You need to ask yourself the hard questions. What am I going to do with my time? 
What am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with the gifts which God has so abundantly bestowed upon me? My spiritual gifts. What am I going to do with all those things? Well, first thing you need to do is realize that it's not yours. Everything you have is God's. Right? You're only a steward, a manager of what is His. And you're going to be held accountable how you handled His resources. So you got to realize it ain't yours. It's not your spiritual gift. It's not your time. It's not your money. Jesus put it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me give you some examples. If you want a heart for, say, Apple or Google, the best thing you can do is go and buy stock in Apple or Google. And there, that's where your heart will be. If you want a heart, say, for a house or a car or a boat, I just tell you, hey, invest all your time, invest all your money, and go buy you one. If that's where you want your heart to be. But if you want a heart for God, if you want a heart for God, put your treasure where God is at work. Put your treasure where God is at work. You want a heart for missions? Then why not put some of your money and start giving to missions? You want to have a heart for children? Why don't you start devoting some of your precious time for kids? You want a heart to see people saved from an everlasting hell? Then why don't you start telling them what Jesus has done in your life? We are all called to live now a life of devotion. And those who are eternity focused do so. Devoted to God. But that's not all. Because we're also called to live with expectancy. Look again in verse 12. Peter said, looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise. Here we go. Look for... The new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Be hardworking. Put your nose to the grindstone and do the work of God. Peter used that phrase, looking for or looking forward, three times in three verses. And that phrase calls us to think about the idea of expectancy. It makes us think of this idea, we got to be waiting for something. Something's getting ready to happen. It means that we ought to be looking and being alert. We ought to make sure that we're, we're ready for whatever it is that might happen. In verse 12, we read that we're to be looking for The coming day of God. Do you know that that can happen today?
Are you ready? Because you've been looking for the coming day of God. Verse 13 said, uh, we're to be looking for the new heavens and the new earth. There's something special God is preparing for his, his own. For those that belong to him. But then in verse 14, he uses it again. Looking forward to all these things. Looking. It carries the idea that, um, that we're looking forward to something. And it's always the habit and the lifestyle of the Christian to be looking forward. Friend, listen, what are you continually looking for? Are you looking for eternity? Are you living in light of eternity? Are you living eternity focused? I mean, just what are you living for? What are you living for? Are you living for something temporary here on this earth? Or are you living for something that's eternal in the heavens? I want to encourage you to live for something eternal in the heavens. Looking. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, one thing you ought to be looking forward to is for the Lord to come return and come get us. Amen. We ought to be looking forward to that. In fact, I believe that the Lord's return and the promise of heaven should be the strongest motivation we have for living according to God's word. That's the strongest motivation. Why? Because what you believe about the future is reflected in how you live in the present. What are you living for? What are you living for? One pastor said, today we see a lot of careless, sloppy Christian living. And we hear those same Christians talking a great deal about the end of times. I hear those people say, oh, I'm waiting for the Lord to come. But the question is, are you looking for the Lord to come or are you living for the Lord to come while you're waiting? Looking. Looking for it. Looking forward to it. How you live here really tells somebody if you're looking for the Lord to come or not. But not only should we live with this kind of devotion to God and this expectancy of Christ's return. Finally, we should also be living with diligence. You heard it there in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, be hardworking to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. That's the whole reason he came was to save you and enable you to live a life of godliness and blamelessness. See, what a Christian is looking for should be a direct reflection of what he's living for. I should be able to look at your life and say, she's looking for Jesus. How can you tell? Because I can tell how she's living. I can tell how he's living. He's looking for the Lord to return. The writer of Hebrews chapter 6 urges his readers to be productive. Not to be lazy in their Christian walk. Let me share it with you. Two verses. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, the same hard work to the full assurance of hope until the end. And when you draw your last breath, then you can quit working and serving the Lord. 
That you do not become sluggish. That you do not become lazy. But imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3. There in verse 14. Peter mentions two traits that will show somebody if you're reflecting the hard work that God has called us all to do. The first of which is this. He says, we will be without spot. We'll be spotless. And what that refers to is it refers to your character. How many of you know that people can tell a whole lot about your character just by the way you live? It refers to what you really are on the inside, especially when no one else is looking. Without spot. And then the second trait is we will be blameless, not sinless. I realize we all have the sin nature that can be tempted, etc. But this is blameless, and that refers to your reputation. That refers to your reputation and how you relate to other people. How many of you know that people who watch you and watch the way you live, they know if you are the real deal or not? They know. Are you the real deal? Are you a real believer in Christ Jesus? Is it reflected in your life? without spot, blameless. Both of those speak not only to the reality of how we're living, but also what people think we are. People, I've heard it said all my life, I don't care what you think. I don't care what they think. Well, you ought to. You ought to, because that refers to blamelessness. And if they're bad-mouthing you because of the way you're living or the way you've treated them, you're not living very blameless. And Peter says the result of living without spot and living a blameless life will be that you will be found by him in peace. What does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. If you were told that the Lord was going to take you home in the next 24 hours, whether he was coming again or through your death, he was going to take you in the next 24 hours. What Peter is saying here is. That you should live in such a way. That you can be at 100% peace. Because you know where you're headed. You know where you're headed. And so you are going to be found by him. In peace. Now let me ask you this. To do this little test. I want you to imagine for a moment. That someone is taking you to a party. And you get to the party with your friend. And you see a few friends there at the party. Uh, you have a little good conversation at the party. Uh, you share a few laughs. You have some decent appetizers. Some good spinach dip. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay. Anyway, the party's all right. But you're just thinking, man, this party should, could really get better. And so um, you say, you know what? I'm going to have to think about it. I'm, I'm going to stay here about another hour. And I'm going to have to tell my buddy I got to go if this party don't get better. 
And so suddenly your friend approaches you. And he says, hey, bud, I got to take you home. You say, oh, man, you're kind of disappointed. I mean, nobody wants to leave a party early. But you leave and your friend drops you off at your house. You're a little bit dejected. You're a little bit down. You're depressed. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sad. You, you approach the door and you, you unlock the door and you stick your hand in there and you, you flip the switch and all of a sudden, surprise! You find out that the house is full, of, your house is full of smiling people. Full of familiar faces. You see, this party at your house is the real party. Not that other party, right? And then you walk in and you smell all your favorites. Smell those barbecue ribs they've been smoking all day. And for dessert, you ain't going to believe what they got. Homemade banana pudding, man. It, ah, I can smell it. Can you smell it? You recognize the guests, some of which you haven't seen in ages. You keep walking in, and one by one, the people that you enjoyed over at the other party, they start walking in the door, grinning from ear to ear. This turns out to be the real party. This is the real party. And had you realized, or you did realize that had you stayed later at that other party, like you wanted to, you would have missed out on the real party. Now, Christians that face terminal illness, Christians that are facing imminent death for one reason or the other, they often feel like they're leaving the party before it's over. They feel like they have to go home early. They're disappointed. And they think about all that they're going to miss because they had to go home. But the truth is this, the real party is at home where they're headed. That's the real party. They're not missing out on the party. We're missing out on the party, the real party. But the great question is this, friend. Where will you be immediately after this life? Where will you be immediately after this life? Jesus said, in this life, there are two roads. There is, well, here's exactly what he said. He said, enter through the narrow gate for its gates are wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in through it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And few find it. That broad road that he was talking about leads to judgment and ultimately a horrible place called hell. On that road, people now seem to be having a wonderful life. 
it's a carefree atmosphere, but down deep, I want to tell you, they're lonely, they're empty, and they're insecure about what their future looks like. But the narrow road, on the other hand, leads to heaven. Traveling on that road can be downright difficult, y'all. It can be hard traveling on this narrow road. Why? Because this narrow road goes against the grain of society. The narrow road, it goes against the tide of all selfish pleasures. This narrow road goes against the sins of the world that we like to participate in so much. And on this road that leads to heaven, I got to tell you, from personal experience, there's a lot of fun. Tons of laughter. But there's also something else. There's a sense of destiny. You know where you're going after this life. There's also this sense of, of eternal hope. Not only of seeing your Lord and your Savior, but those who have gone on before you. And there's also this assurance that there is something far, far better that awaits you other than this earthly existence. So, so brief. It's so, so temporary. Friends, I believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So which road are you on? I can't answer that for you. But you know. What will be your final destination? I can't answer that for you, but you know. So I want to end this whole series with the same question I asked when I began it. Where are you going to be immediately after this life? God tells you that it can be in heaven if you choose. His word reminds us that everyone in this building, everyone on this planet that has lived or will live has been a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But his word also says, hey, listen up. There's consequences to your sin He says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What would warrant you to receive such a gift? Oh, God says that he demonstrates his own love toward you. And that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You see, it's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And his word tells us clearly how we can receive this precious gift. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is made right with God. It's with our mouths that we confess his name.
and salvation is the result. So if you've ever wrestled with the answer to that question, where am I going to be immediately after this life? You can walk out of here with the assurance that heaven is going to be where you're going to be immediately after this life. That's my prayer for you. So if the Lord is leading you to make a decision for heaven rather than the alternative, I want to encourage you today, don't hesitate. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you didn't leave us in our sin, but you poured out your love and showed your love toward us in that while we were still sinners, you sent the only begotten Son of God to die in our place, to pay the price so that we could be with you in heaven for all eternity. Lord, help us to live eternity-focused, and we will be swift to give you all the praise and all the glory for any decision that might be the result of how you speak to people today. Lord, we thank you for saving us, and we thank you for the heaven that awaits us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.